Welcome back to the WTF1 podcast. I'm your friendly neighborhood host, Dre Harrison. And well, this was meant to be the Chinese Grand Prix. And I'm a little bit gutted we haven't got a Chinese Grand Prix at the moment. Unfortunately, their uh, their late policy changes on COVID meant they couldn't put it back on the calendar in time. So we're in the middle of what I think we would call a spring break in Formula 1. It's weird not like having like two races on the extreme ends of April. But we've got some interesting stuff to talk about with you on this edition of the show. But first of all, let's introduce our co-host, Mr. Kieran Oaks. How's it going, big man? It's going very well, thank you. How are you doing, Dre? Not bad, not bad. Just you know, thinking of things to talk about during the off season. <laughs> it's difficult, isn't it? I, I don't know. I've forgotten what life is like without Formula One, and I'm not a fan of just spending time with myself. I've realised. So <laughs> yeah, I, I'm yeah. looking forward to Baku very much. Yeah, like we, we still have two weeks to go. Oh gosh, uh, it's it's gonna. It has been rough. Like you know, like look behind the scenes. We're content creators. When there is no F one to talk about for a month out of nowhere in the middle of April, it's hard. Okay, <laughs> we have to we have to fill in the blanks a little bit here and there. But the, the, we did some thinking over the weekend, and there was some interesting dialogue that we felt was worth making a podcast about, and. They are two of the most talked about drivers still, despite not being actively on the F1 grid at the moment. And and they're Daniel Ricciardo and Sebastian Vettel. Um, We all know Vettel retired at the end of last season, but we can't stop talking about him. He's around. You know, we've had hints and rumblings of a potential return. And, and, And of course, Daniel Ricciardo. Ricciardo... Probably one of the most talked about drivers in Formula One in general, uh, as a, even despite the fact he's not on the grid. You know, a lot of it has been made about him becoming a Red Bull reserve driver uh, now and the possibility of making a comeback. So we wanted to sit down and talk today about the possibility of, hey, can either of these dudes make an F1 comeback anytime soon? Um, so let's get into that right now. So let's evaluate where we're at at the moment, Kieran. So. Daniel Ricciardo was in Australia. He was very high profile, of understandably, during that weekend. Obviously, very home, much so. of course, hometown weekend was right there in the paddock, on the pit wall, constantly, bunch of media interviews. And I know for a fact he talked quite openly about the pieces coming together for a potential return in 2024. What did you make of that, first and foremost? Yeah, it's very. It seems to me, and the tone of his voice and the way he was answering questions is that he feels there's a chance of that Red Bull seat, the second Red Bull seat in 2024. Um, because we know he, he, last season he was very dismissive of offers from lower down the field. He sees himself as a, a top team driver, um, and you know he's he's eight time race winner. That doesn't come from being an untalented driver or not deserving of these kind of seats. But it also removes the context of sort of the last few years of his career. Um, well, I, I guess the last year of his career, especially, um, he did some wonderful things. Well, that Monza win was fantastic, but it's really been downhill since then. Um, and look, if he was happy to take a seat at the bottom of the grid in the top half and in, in the lower half of the grid, then I can absolutely see him having an opportunity next year. But I think that clash between where he sees himself on the grid and where realistically he could be on the grid, I think that spells trouble for his future in Formula 1, personally. What about yourself? I think there's a lot to that. I think I think there is an element of truth in that, certainly. Um, Ricardo seems confident. 
I'll say that much. I, I'm not sure whether that's just a seat in general or whether there is maybe more dissentment within Red Bull's ranks about Sergio Perez and than, than what's being let on. I think Perez, for the most part, has been fine so far this season uh, for Red Bull. I mean, Australia was a bit of a rough weekend. I don't, know, I don't know how much of that was on him and how much of that was on the car because I think there was some kind of engine-breaking concern that was a niggling issue over the weekend. It was one of the most spectacularly bad free practice sessions I've ever seen (laughs) a driver have. It was was, without without being without DNFing from the session. Mm. It was remarkably poor. (laughs) Yeah, like how many times was he in the gravel? Was it four, five times? It was just in the gravel trap, and people will talk. We've been talking about it all the way through. We've been talking about it since he made his return to Red Bull as a as as a reserve driver, third driver, whatever you want to call them these days, you know, people are going to speculate, especially given that Perez, you know, from fans like you, because we've we talked about this before on the podcast when we worked together, that you've always kept like that door open for a possibility that you know Ricardo might you know might be able to get his way back in if Perez underperforms, and I've been a bit more, you know face value where you go well Perez has got a two-year extension he was fine you know I don't think they're gonna blow this up or anything along those lines I think you're right in that I think a lot of this will boil down to how willing is Ricardo to take a maybe a bad seat you know a seat that's towards the back end of the grid I think there was rumblings about going to Haas last year that he didn't want to take on um, maybe he doesn't want to finish 14th or 15th on a weekly basis. If you know Haas was going more by last year's pace rather than this year's, they're a bit better than that this season. But there's also a lot of talk about him trying to untangle bad habits, and like you said, it's it's a weird one because F1 is very much a sport of what have you done for me lately. You're absolutely right. He's won eight times. And I don't think he's had the best car in any of those eight wins that he had, no. which is a remarkable feat. Like to be able to win so in like to win so frequently despite not having the best car in a dominant Mercedes era. That was really impressive. And he had multiple seasons at Red Bull and at Renault where I thought he was really, really good. But the McLaren one was a complete disaster. <laughs> so like do you go by recency bias or do you go by reputation? If you go by reputation, you could probably still form a decent argument that Ricardo deserves to be back on the grid. Well, I think you have to go by recency bias. Like Formula One is, it's always about the pinnacle. Everything mm. is meant to be getting better and better. And I think you reach an age or you reach circumstances on track where suddenly things aren't working quite the way they should be. And I think it's hard to come back from that. I mean, there's not been many occasions we've seen a driver take a break and come back stronger. There's a current exception on the grid because Fernando Alonso seems to be having the time of his life. You had Raikkonen come back and he did a job. He, he wasn't in a car to win a championship, but he did a decent job. I think finished third. Finished third in, uh, was his best finish since he came back. Yeah. Um, 2012, I want to say that was with Lotus. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Um, but generally, the, you sort of lose a little bit of steam, I think. I th- you, you step away from the sport and things change. The technology changes, there's innovations on the car. And I think that was the problem at McLaren. I've said this a few times, so I apologize if you listen to all of our podcasts and I just repeat the same things. But I think he's just lost a level of 
adaptability that's a hard word for adaptability that's what i mean (laughs) and i think the mclaren is an exception i think norris completely outdrives a car that really shouldn't achieve what it does and it was a very poor car but he at that stage of his career i don't think could handle that so we've kind of ended up with this amalgamation of so many different factors where he's kind of used to driving a car that he couldn't drive very well, but the car wasn't like the other cars. So he's in this in-between state where, like you say, he's picked up bad habits, but isn't necessarily fast and isn't necessarily adaptable. And it's it's difficult sell, I would say, at the moment. For any team looking at him, what really would he be bringing at this point in his career? Mid-30s, out of the sport for a year, questions about his time at McLaren, how much of that was on him, how much of that was the car. There's a lot of question marks. There's a lot of potential stumbling blocks as to why you would hire him over someone, say like a Formula 2 graduate, maybe an Ayumu Owasa or a Theo Porcher, for example, um, potentially that could come in um, from the ladder system in in general. I think that's there's certainly arguments you can make pros and cons regarding that. Other side of the coin a little bit here as well. Sebastian Vettel. Now, this one's a bit more interesting to me. Now, we all know he had a very emotional, very heartfelt retirement at the end of last season. I've I've never seen a driver get a fanfare exit like he got. That was remarkable to watch over. That that stole the show for Abu Dhabi the whole weekend, I'd I'd argue, Um, over even the race itself was just Vettel's goodbye. And it was incredible how much the sport moved heaven and earth for him that that final weekend but it's it's interesting what's happened since then i.e he's he's still instagramming he's still playing the story of his career out on instagram if you follow him on there he's getting close to the actual f1 period now which i thought was quite interesting he's up to, to 2006 he's like a year out from when he actually debuted um but also he's done brand deals he's got i think he's got a nutritional energy drink partnership now and i think in some promo work he did for them he said that he was open to a potential return you know never say it was it was like that it was like that never say never sort of you know almost cliched sort of statement that uh you make when you did the when the door isn't completely closed uh in that sort of vibe and well there was always there was also rumors around Bahrain sort of time that you might have filled in for your man's Kieran, given that we we didn't know how fit Lance Stroll was going to be before Bahrain's weekend, and they were like, "Hey, can you give Seb a call?" You know, I what I would have given to see Seb driving this car, oh. I, this Aston Martin, mm. him and Alonso lining up on the same team. That would have been beautiful, wouldn't it? What a team that would have been. I mean, I love that even you as a Stroll fan could admit the the, 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 oh, the yeah, you know, it's 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 cool. You've got you to know? take you've got to take the the positives with the negatives. <laughs> I, obviously, I would have been heartbreaking not to see Lance on the grid, but well, it's fair. We wouldn't have had the quite the character build we've had of Lance yeah. and going. Oh hmm. wow, what he really wants this, but equally, I think it would have undermined his farewell a little bit. Like you say, it was oh, a very yeah. grandiose thing, Seb retiring. And I think it would undermine it. But I think just to prove to people what he still had as a driver, this car clearly would have given him that opportunity, as it did a little bit at the end of last season. And it's so easy to say, oh, look at the decline in his career. Look how far he fell since it was um, Red Bull to Ferrari. And then it's been downhill since then. It would just be good to have some idea of, because when we're talking about a potential return for him, you've kind of got to think about where do we actually think skill-wise 
he left off or is currently, what could he do? And it would it would be really interesting to see. I'm just not entirely sold on it. I think, you know, I I think I've said in the podcast before, I expected him to come back for a year. I, I put that with Audi. I thought maybe mm. he'll come back for a year with Audi. And everyone was going at the time, oh, they could have Vettel and Mick Schumacher. I mean, firstly, Aww. Mick Schumacher does not to be, deserve to be considered in that same sentence. It'd be lovely. <laughs> Sorry, you thought that was going to be a lovely moment for me there, and I apologise, Dre. Oh, my but, chest! <laughs> to, oh, you've got this brand-new, exciting Audi, Audi team. Yeah, Mick Schumacher definitely deserves that after his performances. But I, 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 that's what I could see. But just coming back a year later, or even two years later, it would feel like a bit of a... Oh, you never actually were going to be gone for a long way. You just wanted to get out of Aston Martin or something. I don't know. But I'd love to see. I'd love to have some idea of where Vettel is at, on as like driver ability-wise. It's a good sign when athletes retire. And there's a phrase I often use with it, and I know many people do, is always leave them wanting more. Mm. And that's normally a good indication that there was at least a level of curiosity about what the end game, I think, was with Vettel as the emotional team leader, Aston Martin. I mean, we all know that Stroll's got his obvious affiliations with Aston Martin, but Vettel was the headline piece. We all know that Vettel was the headline piece. That was the intention from the moment they brought him in at Aston Martin. That was more than obvious, right? And Vettel, I think, did a pretty darn good job at Aston Martin with a car that was lower midfield at best. Um, so I think they've definitely struggled to a degree. And now all of a sudden they've taken this huge leap and it's almost like Alonso's taken all of the credit for that. Now, and that, I know that's not actually what's happened here. I know Dan Fallows has done an incredible job turning that car around, but it's like Alonso's come in and all the hype is now going in Alonso's direction because obviously he's new, he's relevant, he's got, I'd argue, the best car he's had in a decade uh, in F1, a car that can get on the podium and, you know, if anything happens to Rebel, could potentially win. Uh, he's had three third places in a row to start this season. So, you know, it, he's he's in the driver's seat to take advantage of a bad Red Bull day. So it's... It, it's it's the disparity is so big between the end of last year and now with him where it's like it kind of leaves that question mark of what what could Vettel have done if the car was on that level me personally given that he had multiple podiums when Aston Martin were bad says to me that I think he would have been just fine personally but yeah I think also it, it kind of I think it either shows a massive belief in what he was feeling as in he was feeling genuinely like he was at the end of enjoying this or wanting to do this or it shows a lack of faith in the Lawrence Stroll um, spiel about where Aston Martin were headed because Seb said he wanted to be in a car that was race, like racing for podiums and potentially wins and Lawrence Stroll has said all along that is where this car will get to and Either Seb has gone, I know that's probably going to happen, but this is time to call it quits for me. Or he's just gone, how can, how can I, at the start of 2022, he's gone, how can this car possibly end up being competitive? And if it is that, then he's just had a bit of really bad luck because I don't think any of us could blame him. No. I don't think any of us could look at that Aston Martin the way it started last year and go, that'll be on podiums next year. 
not a chance. <laughs> I, I, I do wonder how Seb is feeling about that. If it was to be, he just didn't see his career going anywhere further forward. Kind of where Daniel is, mm. but the opposite take. Because Daniel's still very optimistic about his future. And I think Seb's is a more realistic approach of going, I don't want to be in that position where I am struggling to get a contract with a, a bottom team and you know just prolonging the inevitable. I want to get out there and do stuff. Um, but it, it just, I really hope for Seb's sake that he just didn't want to race anymore rather than I want to race in a really good car because that would be a bit heartbreaking. I hope he's at home genuinely at peace with what's with how his career's played out and that it is this, just the simple answer of I didn't want to race anymore. I really hope it's that because if it wasn't that and there was a little bit of, hey, maybe I'll jump before I'm pushed, maybe it's a little bit of, you know, I could see Aston Martin being good, but maybe the timeline's too long um, as to when they could get to this position. Because, I mean, as you said, no one could have predicted Aston Martin jumping up maybe four or five spots in the Constructors' Championship in the space of a single year. That just doesn't happen. Like that, I think the last time that really happened was Williams, when the turbo hybrids began, I think in 2014, where they were towards the back of the field, and then they nailed the regulations and were running third. Um, like the first year libraries, and I think Williams' decline came after that because they couldn't they couldn't spend like the big boys could, but like for a team to jump up that many spots in the regulate like in a non regulation change year is remarkable, quite frankly. And also, just from the perspective of him being a potential stand-in, Aston have probably got they've got one of the largest driver pools on the grid waiting on standby. Like you got Van Dorn, you got Drogovic, good drivers. It, very good drivers, and at this stage, you would go. It wouldn't make any sense for them to go to Seb, but something has just come to my mind, Dre. Go on, and this is going to be a bombastic here and take. I don't know how much I believe in it. Go but on. What I would really like to see, if you know, relations were to sour at Red Bull this season, maybe if Checo was to underperform, as I have predicted all over the winter break, and then was proved wrong instantly. Um, but if that were to happen. I'd love to see Seb and Max in, on a Red Bull lineup just for a season. That'd be <laughs> that'd be wonderful. That'd be beautiful. I I don't think Seb would maybe deserve that seat compared to others, or it would no. be a sensible move for anyone. But just seeing him in a, I really wish he could have done the last race of the season with Red Bull. To be honest, if Czech, just give Max a day off. Honestly, he deserved it. <laughs> but, yeah. Um. The 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 emotional Vettel fan in me would be like, yeah, Vettel's coming home. No, that that would be that would be that would have been nice. You know, it would have been a nice like you know salute to his career and what have you. I and mean, look, you know, Red Bull is not exactly the uh, the quietest of teams when it comes to driver relations. It's been very much under the surface. Um, if they didn't have any faith in Daniel Ricciardo, why not give Seb a call? You know, he 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 drove well for Aston Martin. I, I, I don't I don't think it's that far fetched, especially like when you said like Aston Martin, it wouldn't make any sense for Vettel to get a stand in replacement because Felipe Drogovic had, had a great test, and I think Drogovic would have been fine uh, to stand in for Stroll if he couldn't go in Bahrain for whatever reason. They they they've got. Felipe Dragovic, the reigning Formula 2 champion, and they had the reigning Formula E champion in Stoffel van Dorn. They had an excellent set of reserves. That I, I, you know, I didn't... I was... the Like, the heart in me was like, yeah, bring Seb back. My head was like, they've got 
great reserves. They don't need to, to, to plug anybody else in. So who wants some free new and exclusive beers? Sunny days are back, and to celebrate, our very good friends at Beer52 are offering you a free case of eight delicious craft beers from Yorkshire. Simply go to beer52.com slash WTF1 and cover just $5.95 postage to receive your free case now. Beer52's industry experts carefully curate a new case every month showcasing the very best craft beer and independent breweries from around the world. So why not become a member? This month, they're taking us to God's own country with their Yorkshire case. Boasting some of the finest breweries in the country, Yorkshire should be on every beer enthusiast's bucket list. The Timothy Taylor Tallboy is one of several beers in this case exclusive to Beer 52, meaning you won't find it anywhere else. A smooth and hoppy pale ale bursting with flavours and aromas. You can learn all about the beers, breweries and the rich history of culture and brewing in Yorkshire in the award-winning Ferment magazine. Don't like dark beer? Simply choose the light case and don't forget you get a couple of tasty snacks too. Even after all that, you're still unsatisfied, you can simply pause or cancel at any time. All you need to do is head to beer52.com forward slash WTF1 to claim your free case now. That's beer52.com forward slash WTF1. Yeah, I, I I get the emotional conflict that comes that that's inevitably going to come when it's talking about Seb because part of me wanted to talk about the transition into my next big talking point was what are fans missing by not having them on the grid and with Seb you know it's amazing in that I don't know I don't know how long you've been watching back F one in general Kieran but I remember when he first you know. When, when he started winning world titles, you know, oh, towards... People hated him. Right. Like, people could not stand the fact that he had come in. I think the big two at that point around 2010 was really Alonso and Hamilton. They, I think they were probably the, you know, the two pound-for-pound pound kings of F1 at the time. And then Vettel came in completely off the radar, won the 2010 title, and I don't think people could stand the fact that he was winning so much. I think people hated the finger point. I think there was a lot of under-the-table anti-German resentment, I think, that came with him. Oh, especially in the British media. Obviously, oh, that's God, yeah. our experiences massively influence that. It's, it's worth saying. Absolutely. Like, pe- people will always say, oh, it, the media's not like that in my country. There's just something about British media. If you're getting in the way of Lewis Hamilton, then you are the worst person on the earth. <laughs> and I think we're honestly, I think we're seeing that with Max now. I oh, think absolutely! It's almost the spitting image of how Vettel was treated. A hundred percent. Like I, I remember, I, I started being a content creator on YouTube right around the time Vettel started winning, around 2010, 2011 sort of time. I had an Ask FM page, and the amount of people that were low key calling him a Nazi under anonymous under anonymous profiles were more than you'd like to admit. Yeah, so I think there absolutely was a pro-British, anti-German agenda by a lot of parties involved in in Vettel's success. But I think once he hit Ferrari and the wind stopped coming in so frequently, and we we all know that the Red Bull dominant era was replaced by an even more dominant Mercedes era um, for twice the length and often by even bigger margins, I think a lot of people turned around on Seb because I think he just became more of a fun antagonist more than the guy at the front of the queue every time. And to, I mean, by the end of his career, he'd become one of the most universally, I think, liked drivers in Formula One. He'd become like the, the Paddock's dad to a degree where he was just reasonable. He was using his profile 
or positive activist reasons and and supporting Lewis and the Black Lives Matter movement and being very pro-environment and climate change, which is something that doesn't get talked about enough, given F1 is a very gas-guzzling sport and has been since its inception. Um, you know, what, what do you think they're missing by not having said there, Kieran? I mean, I'd like to hear your perspective more as well, more than anything else. I mean, it's... It's, it's with with Seb. I feel like there's there's three eras, and obviously that makes sense because there's three teams of you minus um, BMW and Toro Rosso, mm. um, and you've got sort of incredibly fast, young, raw, uh, maybe a little arrogant Seb. But I I don't mind arrogance in this sport. I think you need to have it. You need to have confidence in yourself. Then you've got a Ferrari Seb. That is some of the funniest content we've seen from a Formula One driver. Just an incredible personality, even though they were trying to beat it out of him with a stick at the end. <laughs> um, then to Aston Martin, which was sort of wise, Seb, um, as sort of more... He was like a celestial presence over a, a Grand Prix paddock every weekend, um, just sort of hovering around, thinking things that people should want to hear. And I think, I think we've lost the humour of someone like Seb, someone who always knew not to take it way too seriously where you lose yourself and you lose all perspective of things. I think, especially by the end of the career, Formula One was in a very, it was in a natural perspective for him and he didn't value it way too much. His whole life didn't depend on it. And there's a question in that, where do you, when you lose that, can you still be at the top of your game in Formula One? Does every race have to be, this is it, this is a big one. Um, But more than anything, I think just a socially conscious voice um, because I know when on his last race, Abu Dhabi, everyone was talking about, oh, I'm going to start speaking up about what I think now. And it was nice to hear at the time, but I don't think I ever fully believe Lando Norris was going to come into this season um, spouting off about climate change and all this kind of thing. Um, it's just not really his style, and it feels like we've lost the one person on the grid, apart from Lewis, um, who isn't afraid to put the FIA's nose out of joint and say something they maybe don't want to hear. Um, but also speak from that level of experience where you have to be respected. You have to respect uh, Vettel's opinions. You have to respect the opinions of Hamilton. Um, and Alonso, it doesn't really feel like that's... A, he doesn't have any interest in bringing that into Formula One, which, you know, I don't know if it's a shame. I, I think it could be very influential, but equally it's his entire personal choice to do that. So... I don't, I don't have an issue with him not doing so, but I think it is a miss having someone who will openly talk about things, want to make a difference, and just treat everyone with respect and kindness. Because I think in competitive sport, you can lose that sometimes, which is understandable, but it's just nice to see when it is present. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think, like, I think Vettel himself transformed as a person over his career and I, I distinctively remember following his younger career where he'd be the first person to complain about oh why why haven't we got v12s again and you know the whole petrol head side of being a motorsport fan and as time went on i think as his family grew as he, as he got a little bit older and a little bit riser as you say towards the aston martin back end of his career he realized he had a platform and he realized he could use it for positive change. I, I distinctively remember when F1 came back from the pandemic in 2020, he was the only driver that had the distinct, the specific hashtag Black Lives Matter on his helmet. Everybody else kind of danced around it a little bit and they wore the end races and t-shirts here and there. Some took a knee, some didn't. 
Seb was right there with Lewis on the front row and had the actual hashtag Black Lives Matter on his helmet. That meant a lot to me as a black person and as a black fan of this sport because we need white allies as much as we can to to promote positive change in these areas. Um, he used his platform. He'd raised hundreds of thousands of pounds towards other social causes like education in Africa when he helped when he auctioned off his, his turkey helmet. I think he raised a, almost a million quid towards towards Sorry, Turkey helmets just painted a really funny image in my head, which is just a Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I realized that was a bit Freudian of me there yeah. to, um, for for a second there, um, but no, like he 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 absolutely used his platform and you know towards his Aston Martin time, the T-shirts, the Miami could be the first Grand Prix underwater, you know, saving the bees, you know, climate change, pro environment, you know pro LGBT plus community as well. Um, he was running a, a, a young girls racing club in Saudi Arabia. Uh, when they touched down in Jeddah, he was wearing converses that had the rainbow insignia on them. The, the hungry t-shirts in general, where he said, if, 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 if they disqualify me because of the shirts, I'll do it again. That's the, it, he was a wonderful ally towards many important social causes in a world that demands more from its athletes in general it's the world has changed in the last two or three years where we now kind of want athletes to speak out more against injustice in the world because we know they have platforms and we know that it it can be used for, for a positive change i mean i'll give you an example right now um you know it's it's become socially acceptable to call out sports washing in places like Saudi Arabia and Qatar um, due to recently big sported events like Grand Prix and World Cups. We're racing in Florida in three weeks' time for Miami. And if you've been reading the news about what's been going on in Florida regarding women's rights, regarding you know the fact that it's going to be illegal soon to terminate a fetus after six weeks, for example... Somehow, I don't think that's going to get mentioned as much in the media circles as opposed to every time we touch down in Saudi Arabia. And I have a feeling that Seb would be one of the people that would be brave enough to speak out against these issues. And I don't think anybody else besides Lewis Hamilton on the current grid would. And that is a that is a shame. Um, I think with, with people like Seb wearing the T-shirts and promoting the slogans for these sorts of things, Often the word virtue signaling is thrown around and people see it as empty gestures, but it just it ignites a whole conversation around things. Every time you do something in a place that it's thought that you shouldn't, people talk about it, discussions start, and that can start, you know, a whole buildup of momentum towards changing attitudes, changing how we do things, changing how things are perceived and bringing awareness to issues that we in our comfortable UK westernized a viewpoint don't really consider because it's just sort of a a standard for us. Well, we don't care. We don't care enough. Um, And people like Lewis and Seb willing to make people uncomfortable is a thing that can bring change. And that is a thing that will be missed definitely from Seb. Yeah, absolutely. 110%. I mean, and, and Ricardo on the other end of the scale, I guess, to a degree, I mean, love him or hate him. He, he is a character something that Formula One has often been criticized over the years for not having enough of. Um, and he's, I think he's genuinely been able to tap into a bit of mainstream culture. I mean, I've joked about this before in a couple of other shows I've done where it's like, would you ever imagine Daniel Ricciardo being on Stephen Colbert? 
<laughs> in yeah, the US and getting on like late night US talk shows him being close with Trevor Noah when he was the Daily Show host and people recognize I think even one of the big winners of the DTS era because as Ricardo has been heavily featured in almost every season and people love him like it resonates with people and the new wave of fans that have come into the sport they love they love they love some Danny Rick can I be controversial here Dre go for it and look I like Daniel Ricardo. I think he's a very nice, funny man. But it baffles me the amount of conversation we are still having about where he will end up. And I don't think any other driver would, of what he had done at McLaren in his last couple of years, I don't know anyone who would warrant this level of conversation. I think it is a symptom of Drive to Survive. Um, it is a symptom of the more personality-led approach to the sport, which is nothing wrong with. Because... Um, it's nice to have people you root for and you want to see do well. Of course. But it definitely, again, falls into that category of sport versus entertainment because from a sporting perspective, why are we why are we giving more attention to Daniel Ricciardo than either, you know, the really young, promising drivers coming through? Surely we should be prioritizing them. Or, you know, drivers in the past who have, have done a good job. They've made their name on some of the statistics, but ultimately lose it at some point and then they just sort of disappear and fade away or you you end up in punditry you end up doing something else you end up you know there's so many possibilities and i'm kind of tired of talking about daniel ricardo uh, and his future <laughs> because yeah. it, it it feels it, it feels i i don't think he deserves it I, I i think formula one it's a results-based business he's not provided the results it's like mick schumacher i'm sorry and I can understand people's argument that he wasn't that far off um, Kevin Magnussen at, at the end. And that is a separate discussion. But this will to get him back in, because he, it's because he's a nice person. And yeah, there is that balance between we, we want people we like, but you've got to deserve one of those 20 seats on a Formula One grid. But I, I think there's always going to be an element of, you know, popularity blurring the lines a little bit. And I mean, you hit the nail on the head with like, I mean, Daniel Ricciardo and Mick Schumacher, I think last year were two of the most liked drivers on, on the grid. I think Understandably. Daniel, I, 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 I get, I totally get why I, I openly admit I'm not the biggest Ricciardo fan myself personally, but I can totally see why some people love him. Um, I, I, that, that whole sort of frat boy vibe about him is I can I can see how why and how that resonates with people, uh, and and Mick obviously there's there's an emotional connection there with his dad who you know sadly we don't get to see it very very often anymore at all pretty much and you know Mick is a good driver in his own right and I think he's he's hardly disgraced himself in Formula One but you can understand especially now in hindsight having seen how well Nico Hulkenberg has performed so far this F1 season with Haas that you could probably make a case that, that, that they were right to move on with with Mick and, you know, put a more experienced hand in, in the seat and Hulkenberg, I think, has delivered. So there will always be, I think, a degree of um, of popularity, maybe, and maybe a bit of, of, of unconscious bias trying to maybe form an argument in your head as to what would make Ricardo a bit more worthy than maybe he deserves in terms of getting a seat back. And the way I look at it, Kira, I, I look at the grid right now and... I don't think there's an easy way back for him. I mean, let's break this down here. I mean, Red Bull is amazingly the most likely scenario given he's a reserve there, but I think it would require probably a collapse from Sergio Perez. And I don't think he's that 
below par for Red Bull to start having serious conversations about that yet. We'll have to wait and see. Um, Ferrari, I'm going to budge. They've got Leclerc, and I think Sainz is a little bit behind, but I don't think Sainz, again, is saying, oh, let's replace Carlos. They just gave him an extension. They, they, they clearly think he's fine. You know, Mercedes, arguably best driver lineup in F1. They uh, may, again, there could be some action if Hamilton retires early, but I Not don't, Daniel Ricciardo. <laughs> but I don't think they're going to go for Ricciardo if, if, if Hamilton has a shock retirement. I think they're going to go for the man in the, in the number four seat personally, but um, that's neither here nor there. No, he'll be at Red Bull. Ooh. I'm standing by it. I'm standing by it. End okay. of the season. Okay. 2024, Lando's a Red Bull. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Uh, I, I, I think I think Lando will certainly kick up more of a stink if, if McLaren's down, down form continues, uh, mm. certainly. But you look at the midfield, Alpine looked pretty set. Um, Ocon, they've committed to for a long-term deal. I think he's been excellent at Alpine for the most part. Gasly, I think, okay, Australia, notwithstanding, he was running fifth in that race before the crash. He was like that was a bit of a walking kick. So that hey, Gasly's got something here in in, in Alpine colours as well. Don't see a major reason why they're going to move away from him. McLaren, Lando Norris is outstanding. McLaren clearly want to keep him. Piastri, I think, has been pretty solid to start his F1 career as well. So I don't think there's an opening there. You look down the field, Kieran, and the back half of the field, maybe. Do you see any way he gets in easily? Because I'm struggling. I, I think, you know, I think Haas would have a decision to make. Maybe over Magnussen? Uh, yeah, how this season has started, and I think it depends how the rest of it goes, but... I, I reckon Steiner obviously showed interest in Daniel before. Um, and if Kevin were to disappoint this season, I could see that as a way in. Um, unless Alpha Tauri changed their entrance um, <laughs> strategy. I don't know. If they just want someone in the family to have a seat, then Alpha Tauri could be a shout. Uh, but to be fair, Sonoda's doing well. He started the season strong. De Vries needs a little bit more time. But he's like Ricardo's not a, an Alpha Tauri driver, and and even so, then they, they've they've got names in, in in the academy they could promote from within now that they did they didn't have last year. I said Liam Lawson, Ayumu Owasa, maybe Zayn Maloney, maybe even Dennis Hauger. They've got three or four names they could potentially promote um, in their own academy now. I think Red Bull would be. I reckon their only consideration of Daniel is for marketing purposes. I think that's fairly obvious. Yeah. But I, I don't think they see any way into a seat for him in any of their seats available. Williams, I would have Albon in. Um, Absolutely. No problem. Mm -hmm. Sergeant has impressed me pretty much so far. I think he's had a strong, solid start. Um, and who else? Alfa Romeo. They've I wouldn't take Porsche. him over Bottas or Joe. So, and, they've got, and they've got Porsche. Yeah, Porsche, a fantastic talent. He, I think he'll really come in and do incredible things once he's in. So I I can't help but feel like it's the end of the road, unless unless that Hassi opens up. But he was too good for that last year. Would he take it now? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, Hassi may be more of a proper midfield team than a back marker now by comparison. So maybe that might be enough to pull Ricardo's arm. I don't know. It depends what Daniel's thinking, really. Um, you know, is he prepared to potentially sit in a back marker towards the end of his career like Seb did to a degree? And but like if Seb put it out there that he wanted to come back in 2024, 
Is anybody making movements to bring him in? Because I'm leaning towards no on that one as well. The, the fantasy side of me says if Sergio went at the end of this year, say there was a spectacular falling out, that Red Bull might give it a go for a year. Um, with a view to said maybe joining their backroom setup in some capacity, I don't know. Maybe post-career, um, yeah. But I think it depends on how the rookies do. Because say, let's say Piastri had a disaster. Like McLaren, you get the opportunity to have Sebastian Vettel. You'd be stupid not to take it, wouldn't you? I, I, I don't. At like, least have a conversation. Yeah, anyone would be stupid not to consider it, uh, barring Mercedes or Ferrari. Um, because like I say they look pretty settled. But anyone else, there's a lot of experience and there's a lot of knowledge you can get from Sebastian Vettel, and I think he could do a job. I don't think he'd be well beaten. I don't think he would completely outperform a car for a team, but I think he would give you solid results and. I don't know. It's probably not going to happen. Sorry, I, I get carried away with this wanting it, wanting to see him <laughs> back in the car, but it's not going to happen, is it? So, yeah. Is this like a role reversal? Am I going to say, wait, wait, wait we, we've got to keep Lance Stroll and that Aston Martin seat at all times. It's like, we, it's like we've switched roles here for like this this episode of the podcast. I think so. <laughs> well, no, I'm not saying get rid of Lance. Not not a chance in hell, but, you know, because he's a future four-time world champion. Oh, well, there, there it is. That, that That's the Kieran I know. I, I don't see an obvious way back for either of them, unfortunately. Um, as Like you said, I think F1 is a ruthless results-driven business, for better or worse. And I, I honestly think Seb is content. Um, you know, I don't think he's got a huge desire to want to run back in an F1 car now. I mean, some athletes do get that vibe where it's like, oh my God, I've actually retired and I wasn't prepared for this. Um, I think Seb, who I think once said in his early 30s, he didn't, like when he was in his 20s, he didn't mind if he retired in like 30, 31 um, when he was winning championships. I think he's at peace with it personally. And if he, if he did suddenly say, I'm prepared to come back in 24, is any team boss scrambling to pick up the phone? I don't know. And and I, I think Vettel would still be an improvement for a good half of the teams in the paddock right now, but they've all got their own plans. They've all got their own agendas. Most of them have got their own academy of guys they could potentially bring up through the pipeline, like, 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 like an Alpha Romeo, like an Alpha Tauri, even like a McLaren, potentially, for example. So... I, I think I, I think that door might be closed personally. But I'd love to hear what you guys think. Um you can tweet me at Dre underscore WTF1. Send in your opinions. Do you think there's a way back for Vettel or Ricardo? Do let us know. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. It's a it's a fascinating amount of discourse. There's a lot of different angles to look at it, and I'd love to hear you guys' perspective as ever. So from me and from Kieran, thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you guys soon. Sign Goodbye.